Brick and Mortar Reporter Podcast, Episode 47. Welcome to the Brick and Mortar Reporter Podcast, where we show you how to build your business brick by brick. Put on your hard hat and grab your tool belt because you are about to enter the construction zone. And now, here's your host, Christy Hostler. Hi there, localists. Welcome to the Brick and Mortar Reporter Podcast. My name is Christy, and I'm your host today. And today, we are privileged to have Rachel Tolby with us. Now, Rachel is the CEO and founder of Mod Vellum Skincare in San Francisco, California. And she has spent many, many years in the beauty industry uh, as a spa owner and an esthetician. And she's now used her expertise to start her own skincare line. I guarantee you it's not for the of heart. We're excited because Rachel's business is a B2B, a business-to-business business model, and we're glad to have her on to talk because I know many of you also have those type of businesses and you need some advice. So Rachel's going to share her story um, of how she got where she is today. She also formulates her own skincare products, so I know there's a whole lot of chemistry and everything behind all that. She's going to share it with us. She's going to share the lessons she's learned along the way, and along with that, some failures and successes. So Rachel, welcome to the podcast. We're thrilled to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Well, I kind of have given just a little, just a real small snippet of what your life has been up to this point. <laughs> and so I wanted to kind of get you to get us started by telling us um, the story of you, um, anything personally or professionally that kind of got you to this point, and then um, kind of give us the, the jumping off point to where you are now and how on earth you got into knee deep into skincare and formulating and all that kind of thing. Okay, so here's the first thing that you need to know about me. I refuse to conform. Anyone that looks at my website as a business is going to go, oh, this is a little different. Good, (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Yay for the rebels of society. So, you know, a little background on me. I was the kind of kid who almost dropped out of high school. I kid you not, because I just didn't have the attention span to get through anything that was, like, boring. I was a rebel, and anyone that went to high school with me knows. <laughs> so, oh, they're shocked, right? They're shocked now that you're doing anything that anyone would want to talk to you about. They're, they're shocked so. that I'm not in jail, probably. <laughs> <laughs> See, you didn't have to tell us all that now. <laughs> uh, too much information. <laughs> so, yeah, so by the time I was a small girl, um, I was just, I used to fantasize about being a boss because, you know, my mom was a hairdresser, and my dad owned his own insurance company. So I'm kind of the perfect, like, you know, you know, hybrid of my parents. So I have the beauty school background, uh, beauty industry background, and then sort of the business background. Gotcha. So, you know, my father used to tell me that I was going to be his receptionist once I was old enough. Now, sadly, he chose to sell that company, and I was heartbroken, heartbroken. So I started working for this company, and it's called Coffee Tree, and it's in Ryan, New York. And my intention, I kid you not, at like 14 years old, was working my way up to be a manager. I worked so many hours that by the time I was 15, I'd been there for about a year at that time, I remember the owner of this 13-chain store calling me and telling me they needed to have me work less hours 
because they were paying me so much overtime. <laughs> oh, wow. At Can 15, you imagine? This is, wow. <laughs> At 15. Wow. So I had gone around and I introduced myself to every manager at every location to try and work as many hours as possible. I would work in Greenwich, Connecticut. I worked in Stanford, Connecticut. And, of course, I worked in Ryan, New York because we're very, you know, close to, uh, right. close to each other. But it was almost a game to see how large my paychecks could be. Oh, wow. Now, yeah. did these, each location know that you were, like, working a part-time or full-time job with them? Uh, they, yeah, yeah. So they didn't know about each other? They just didn't have any idea what kind of schedule they you were They were just like, who is this kid that we were paying all this overtime to? That's hilarious. <laughs> and they were, like, so shocked that I was, like, 15. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, that's not the kind of motivation that most 15-year-olds have. So right. I'm sure it was more for a loop, so. <laughs> Absolutely. So now... Um, during this time, my father was opening his second business, which was this children's play and party center, and it was called Tons of Fun. And it was in Yonkers, New York. And, you know, this is the second business. I had watched him be a business owner, but never an entrepreneur, which, if you ask me, is the process. It's the starting, the creating, you know, um, and owning, I think, more than one business. His first right. business was kind of like left to him by like his, uh-huh. uh, his uncle. So I watched gotcha. him building this like huge 10,000 square foot facility and it was a really creative process. I got my juices flowing. We talked about like what to name it. We talked about what kinds of specials to run. And while I was too beat, like too young to be a manager, I was heavily involved in like much of what went on in the facility. And I assisted in the hiring process. I had the keys to the place. I thought daily about the things that I would do if I were him. (laughs) (laughs) So it's sort of like playing make-believe, but it's not really make-believe because it's sort of there. You know, most kids play store, you know, or those kind of things, and you actually got to do it, you know. Yeah, I felt like I was like one of the owners. Uh, clearly, uh-huh. I had no idea <laughs> what it meant to, like, pay the rent and bills, but I uh-huh. really felt like I was just, you know, an integral part of this, this business and its uh, development and its support, you know? What a great experience. Yeah. So, now, at this time, I was actually dating this guy, and his uh, mother had bought me a facial, and uh-huh. I told her I was breaking out. And probably, like, the year <laughs> 2000... And I just, I didn't know what a facial was because people right. didn't get it. They didn't get facial. Uh-huh. They right, didn't get yeah, facial. that wasn't common. It wasn't common. And, like, if you bought skincare, you bought it from, like, the department store. They were, mm-hmm. like, a oh, few, the Merle Norman, yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. There were, like, a few big brands, and, like, that's uh-huh. kind of it, you know. So all yeah. I know is I show up to this place with her gift certificate, and a woman from France gives me a facial, and um, during the facial, all these, like, mysterious things were happening. I had no clue what was going on. I felt like mm-hmm. I was, like, in a cloud. It was so relaxing. And oh, wow. um, I just remember the woman telling me I had really nice skin. And I was like, you're kidding because I'm breaking out. Um, right. <laughs> and, you know, she was clearly an expert. And after this whole process within a week or two my breakouts cleared up like instantly i would blow oh, it away wow. and this facialist uh is the reason that i decided to go to school really? and I, yes and i went to a romanian school 
in New York City oh. called Christine Valmy. And I got my license wow. about, <laughs> actually, this is funny. I was supposed to get my license nine months later, but I asked if I could do 12-hour days. And so <laughs> I was, like, the only person graduating, like, two months form, early. Right? <laughs> They were like, no one's ever asked us that before. <laughs> I was like, can I just do 12 hour days? So I got my license about six months later. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it though. So then you, so then at that point, are you ready to just go right out on your own or are you, you going to work for someone else? What'd you do with the, with the license once you finally had it? Um, you know, back then, it was not common to start your own business as an assistant. Right. It wasn't. Okay. Um, the times were different. People didn't really rent rooms and, like, do their own thing like they do today. Right. It's a little easier today with, I mean, with the Internet, to be honest. Marketing is easier um, than ever before. I'm not going to say it's easy, but there's just a lot more opportunity um, to be able to get yourself booked faster. So, you know, your fantasy back then was to work for one of the big, great spas, and that's what I did. But I worked in two super huge spas that had a staff of, like, a couple hundred people each. Like, they had everything there. And um, that was just, like, what everybody wanted to do. Some estheticians would come in and talk to us about working at, like, Adam Broderick Day Spa or, you know, Noel Day Spa, whatever these giant, giant spas were. And we would just be, like, salivating during their presentation. And they would just be And bigger, bigger was better and all that kind oh, of Oh, yeah. It was very prestigious. If you worked at a spa that was a member of, like, this organization called iSpa, I mean, that was a big deal. They actually, oh. and if you went to work at another spa that was also iSpa, they were supposed to make a phone call and check and see if it was okay with oh. your former spa. Yeah, it was God. very, very like hard to kind of break in. Work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was very exclusive. Um, it was very elite. It was very mysterious. And people wanted to know what that meant. Actually, when I would tell people that I was an esthetician, they would say, oh, so you mean you, like, you knock people out for surgery? I'm like, no, that's an anesthetist. <laughs> I'm like, no, totally different thing. Like, they just didn't know what it was. It was, it was I, yes, I can. I completely imagine. I mean, not, not even worrying about how to spell it, but right. what it actually is. I can understand that being a confusing thing. Exactly. <laughs> so you started working for a big spa. Mm-hmm. And go ahead and continue telling us about kind of how you got to the point you are today, because I know there was a lot, there's there some ground to cover between going to work for someone else in a yeah. big spa with the prestige and then finding out that that's not enough either. Yeah, well, you know, um, I was still in my early 20s, and at that time I had like this fantasy of moving to San Francisco. And I moved to San Francisco. I remember I drove across the country. I've done this three times. I drove across the country at like 23 or 23 by myself. I remember my dad just standing on our uh, our porch looking at me, scratching his head like my car was packed. I was ready to go. And he was like, no way. Like, you didn't think I was going to do it. I did it. Wow. So I drove to San Francisco. It took forever to find another job. So I almost went broke. I practically did. And then finally, I landed another job uh, in a huge spot, you know, out here. 
that at the time, you know, 150 plus um, staff, and I worked for this place called Maiden Lane, and this just phenomenally wealthy lady uh, who is now, you know, she's she's no longer with us, but um, but she was such a character, and it was so interesting because there's so many celebrities that would come into yeah. the spa, and I had like this this really unique, um, this really unique like just like experience of working on. Um, like Nancy Pelosi and Diane Feinstein and just, just oh, wow. interesting people. <laughs> like I saw like yeah. Andy Garcia and I saw like J-Lo there and I worked on, you know, one of the Giants' wives and it was just such an Clearly, interesting Clearly seeing them in a way that no one else does. You know, that's right. a very intimate right. kind of, you know, connection with them. Right. Very weird. Yes, absolutely. And, um, I was there for some time. I built a clientele. I went and I worked at a startup after that. And that was really interesting. I learned a lot because the business owner needed a lot of help. And I think when I started working for that startup, that's what really got my entrepreneurial juices flowing. I didn't quite have a handle on what I wanted to be when I grew up. And, and I, you know, sometimes this is why we become estheticians because, just, you know, going to school and getting a degree and becoming something, you know, that requires a degree is just not for us. But, um, you know, I, I learned a tremendous amount of, like, what it kind of took to build a clientele and run a business. And um, I became the top seller in the country for this other Cairo brand. And I was at a training, and I met Flo, and Betty Lou, who were, like, some of the founders of this company. And Flo wow. is now my partner, actually. And when wow. I met them, they were like, who the hell are you? And how are you selling $10,000 a month of our product? They were, like, this tiny company. And, oh, wow. So yeah. they knew who you were because you were putting a lot of revenue through their Yeah, product. they were asking. Wow. I, I guess my boss at the time had become one of their larger accounts, and they were like, how are you doing that? And my boss was pointing at me. And they were like, what? They just hadn't heard of that. So uh, I was there for some more time. And then I reached out to Flo and asked her if I could work for her uh, in New York. I wanted to move back to New York. And so I did. And, um, you know, and and just the rest is history. That's really where I got my first, created my first business by by being one of their partners and running an eight-state territory for them. Wow. Yeah. So essentially, you, I mean, you in, in this larger spa type situation, you kind of went on, on your own and created a brand for yourself based on not what other people were doing, but based on what you knew you could do selling right. these cosmetics. And then sure. from there, that created enough buzz about you as an individual for somebody to say, I don't know what you're doing, but I would be glad to partner with you to do something. Right, yeah, yeah, wow. and, I, and, and you know, it was just, um, you know, we we were independent reps, and we didn't own these shares of this company, but, like, we, you know, we had extensive territory, and right. uh, it was very hard, you know, if you didn't really make any money at first, but if you knew how to sell and how to really talk to businesses, you could be very successful, you know, you just have to have integrity about it, which is really part of the chiral message. It's just having, like, integrity and really wanting to build relationships with the businesses 
that, you know, you wanted to, you know, buy, have them buy from you. Wow. So at that point, you kind of were, you got your taste of independence and started yeah. uh, doing your own. I mean, you know, I don't want to say doing your own thing to get a paycheck because you still had to sell and that sort of thing. Yeah. But, you know, it is hard to go from the steady thing to the a little more insecure, you know, yeah. type pay, pay situation. And um, that, that's definitely a big leap. Were you scared at all about any of those transitions or you knew it was going to be a good thing? I, you? you know, I was thinking about the 20s and you kind of have no responsibility. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Ignorance is bliss. And if you crash yeah, and burn, it's fall back on mom and dad. 30s because you're like, oh, my rent is more. And, you know, but in the mm-hmm. 20s, you could do what you want. So my, you know, my parents were willing to let me move back in to start working with this, this company, which was called uh, Cosmetics. Um, and, uh, you know, it was kind of, it was good for me because I just didn't have any fear. So I just, like, did my thing because my rent was covered. <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. um, but I would just go to New York and have, I mean, had all these crazy, hilarious experiences. And, like, there were so many things that I couldn't afford either. When I first started, I remember driving a car that was, like, 12, 14 years old, one summer the air conditioner broke, and I was new, and I just couldn't afford to fix it. And the car yeah. was old, and I drove around in, like, 100-degree heat um, <laughs> all summer with no air conditioner. And, uh, you know, it was just all these funny stories that people from that company remember about just, like, the, me yeah, doing my thing and just not caring. And I remember one of them saying, you have an old car around, like, don't you want to show up looking successful? And I was like, well, it's New York. I'm parking in a garage, like, That's a block right. away, and I never see my car. <laughs> it was True. so funny. Or I'm parking at the next stop, and it'll, I'll get on the the subway and to take it in. So that's, that right. is true. So how did you get started with Mod Vellum, and how did that business um, – give us a little bit of background, and then maybe – because you started it, what, in 2008 uh, Yeah, I, I started okay. the website from New York in 2008. Okay. I, was still, I was still living there. I was finishing up some stuff with cosmetics, and I just – what had actually happened – this is really interesting, but the reason that I started this business was because I had Lyme disease, and I didn't know it. So, oh. I, yeah, I was starting to have all these health problems. My energy was really low, and I was really having a lot of trouble getting the energy to, like, travel, you know, and just handle these eight states of business that I had built. And I just was like, I was like, I don't know what to do because I don't know what kind of job I can have. I, I certainly could not go back at that time and do facials. I couldn't do it. Wow. I physically couldn't do it. Physically. So, yeah, but my brain was good. So I started creating uh, my home. I was kind of like, you know, moonlighting, I guess, as they call it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think at some point that project just sort of consumed me. And then I, I had to leave um, because it was just only fair to that company. I really wanted to focus on my home. But I started it with the original intention of selling skincare online. And selling okay. other people's brands. Okay. So, not with your own brand. Yeah, and that, own that was product. not my original intention. But it was June of 2008, and this whole, like, Bernie Madoff crash was happening. Right. You know, and it was a bad, bad time for retail. I mean, if I had spent any amount of money trying to promote that online, it would have totally flopped. You know? Wow. <clears throat> 
so then I was like, I was getting this itch to go back to California, and <laughs> and I moved back to San Francisco. I drove over across the country again, and wow. um, landed here, and there were no jobs, yeah. no jobs at all. And so I ended up working for all those big spas that I had relationships with weren't hiring because their business right. was going down. And actually, sure. three places hired me in a row, and then they had to tell me, we just can't bring you on because our business is disappearing right now. It was sure. a really scary time. And then I was like, oh, my God, what am I going to have to do? Like, am I going to have to, like, do some other job entirely? Am I going to have to move home? I couldn't figure it out. And... Right. um and then I found, did find a job, but that job was only paying like $700 a month. It was that bad. So oh, wow. I was like, okay, I can't, yeah, I was like, I can't afford to live here. So yeah. I asked my grandfather if he would give me money to rent a room on Union Street. And he said yes. And he gave me $10,000 to um, start renting this room. And we started, you know, we used the website. I added a spa menu to it. Again, not its original intention, but I was like, hey, I have a cool-looking website. Um, we added a spa menu to it, and we did this promotion. Um, it was myself and, like, two other people. We would hike mm-hmm. from the hills in San Francisco and hole punch and rubber band these um, flyers that said the $50 facial is here. Oh, and... Wow. Yeah, and that didn't exist at that time. There weren't really, like, daily deal sites. I mean, there were, but they weren't very big yet. So uh-huh. we got, like, our first 1,000 clients, I want to say, in from this promotion that we just ourselves, you know, hung from door, you know, doorknobs and flipped into mailboxes, like, whatever uh-huh. we could do. We got, like, 1,000 people in within, like, six or seven months. Wow. So it's just really old-school marketing, just, I mean, with just, you know, handing out flyers and placing placards on doors and that kind of thing. Yes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Unbelievable. I skinned my knee once. I, like, sprained an ankle once. I mean, we were very grassroots. (laughs) Extremely. Now, and did you have a place that you were performing the facials at? Yeah, actually, the same building that we're in now. It was just downstairs. We moved into a larger, we had, like, one treatment room uh, Uh originally downstairs, and now we're above that uh, in the same building, but now we have a half of Edwardian, which is, like, four treatment rooms and where we keep our, our, uh, our, you know, warehouse, we like to call it, slash my office. <laughs> right, so, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So it started with the $50 facial, and how how has it evolved from that point until where it is today? Um, well, you know, basically I was told by my landlord uh, at the time, this the guy who owned, you know, the space below me, but they wouldn't uh-huh. be renewing my lease. So they were chiropractors, and they really wanted to move in a like business at that time. But they oh. gave me, like, nine months of notice. But I was like, oh, oh you know, like, this is really frustrating. And um, so what we did was we ran, like, a Groupon or a Living Social or one of those daily deal sites. Mm-hmm. And at the time... They would sell so many treatments because it was so new and so hot that they literally sent me, like, a $20,000 check, and I used oh, wow. that check to get us into the space upstairs. 
Like, I really oh, didn't wow. feel that check was in my hand, and I called that landlord up, met with them, um, made a deposit, and we were moving in. When did we move in? Um, September, uh, September of that year, which I want to say was maybe like 2010. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you started, you moved. At this point, you still weren't doing your own product line. And, and with a lot of small business owners, that leap of creating your own product is a real barrier for people to get over. Whether it's mm-hmm. whether it's regulation, whether it's just that they're not familiar with the manufacturing process or the distribution right. process. or I mean, there's a whole lot that goes into that. So right. can you kind of give us um, an overview of how you did it and what the steps were that you had to go through? Because I know it's it's like a lot of industries, you know, if it's a food product, it's got regulation in this area. If it's a skin product, it's got regulation in another area. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to have a lot of standards, guidelines, and a lot of people, frankly, up in your business because they have to ensure that you comply with the government regulations and that sort of thing. So that's a big, scary, uh, sticky wicket for a lot of businesses that probably have a product they would like to put out under their own name. Yeah, it's. I will say this. Now that I am through it and I have something in a bottle that I can sell, I mean, I am, like, so thankful every day that I'm through the process of creating that. That is that is the hardest thing I have ever done in my life. I know really? that it's, oh, God, yes. I would rather give birth than do that. <laughs> Again. <laughs> I mean, you know, I had a cool-looking website, but I didn't have a brand. And I started thinking, how would I, like, create this whole message? Like, who are we? How are we going to talk to us physicians? What information is going to go on our bottles, in our manual. Are we going to be fun? Are we going to be serious? Are we going to be medical? Who are we going to sell to? I mean, forget it. So impossible. So what I just did was I just tuned all of that sort of chatter out, and I just uh-huh. did what I wanted to do. Okay. And, and I just did my thing, and I created it. I'm fortunate that I have just a great graphic artist, who did so much work for my father and his businesses. Like, she and I work really well together, and that was a big piece. And then there was this woman, her name was Betty Lou um, McIntosh. Now, she actually um, was one of the founders of cosmetics, and she kind of was one of the people that pushed me because I was like, how do you do that? Like, you know, I kind of would love to have my own product line and, go back into sales and, you know, reconnect with some of these businesses that I used to work with. And, you know, she actually introduced me to the formulator that was the formulator, you know, that she worked with Mm -hmm. over at Cosmetics. So she made this introduction, which honestly in in this industry, it's just that does not really happen. So, um, and I was the formulator for a couple of years before I did anything. I was just taller. She was like the nicest lady. She talked to me for like an hour. And, you know, she was just so great. I hadn't paid her anything yet. Oh, wow. You know, the whole process really takes just a long period of time. And, um, gosh, I mean, she connected me to some label companies. And that was a whole other process because, you know, you know, labeling and sizing and, you know, it's one thing to get the bottle and go, okay, this bottle is going to work, but then you have to figure out, like, how much you know, label do you want on the bottle? How much do you want it to cover? What style do you want? Do you want a foil stamp? Do you want a this? Do you want, I mean, oh, my 
God. It's and a then, lot of choices. Yeah, and then when you're really excited about your business, it's very hard not to be impulsive because yeah, when you're yeah. in that, like, really heightened state of creativity, which I know every CEO struggles mm-hmm. with, it's hard not to be impulsive and just mm-hmm. make mistakes because you want to move things down the pike faster. You just have to take time to get it right, you know? Wow. So um, I guess I just started doing it piece by piece. Um, but in, in, in 2012, we had such a good year that mm-hmm. I secured a very large loan from Wells Fargo, honestly. Okay, and that okay. was a big part of me being able to do that. If I didn't have that money, I don't know how I would have done it. <laughs> Okay, so, I was going to ask about that because yeah. it is, I mean, there's a lot of capital that has to get tied up in manufacturing products. And, yeah. you know, a lot of places are not really willing, you know, especially during the, the years that you were talking about. I mean, let's face it, small business loans were not just popping right out of, you know, that I know. banks were doing. I, and it wasn't my first try either. My own bank wouldn't give me money for three years in a row. And then for some odd reason, Wells Fargo, like when I showed them like prototypes and the website and what what the direction that we were going to go in, I swear to you, they must have given me this money based on the business plan alone because I don't even know how in the hell. (laughs) My my own bank was just like, we'll give you $63,000 less. And I was like, you know, then what Wells Fargo was going to give me, and I was like, I just don't even know why Wells Fargo it's really in my corner. They're not my bank, but they are, mm-hmm. you know. And, um, wow. you know, you just, you just never know. You always have to try because you never know. Right. And did you go out seeking funding with the specific thought of it was going to be used to manufacture and produce your own product? Is that what the purpose was? Um, that was part of it. And the other uh-huh. part of it was going to be to kind of run out the spa, do some painting, uh, we put up some chandeliers, things like that, because mm-hmm. actually, I'll tell you what, when you talk about bootstrapping some things, and some people won't know what that term means, but mm-hmm. it's basically like, you know, a client pays for something and you literally have a small sale, maybe it's even 30 or $50, and you're looking at the money going, which part can I siphon off to pay a bill and which part can I right. siphon off to sink in the facility? Well, for like three years, we didn't want to turn a profit, so there really wasn't any money for improvement. We mm-hmm. existed as a business for three years with no signage. We did not even have, we didn't have any, um, you know, nice, nice paint job. We didn't mm-hmm. have any signage. Uh, we, <laughs> I had an assistant create these little, you know, signs with a little hornet on them. And I kid you not, we just laminated them and taped them to the doors. That's how little because, money yeah. we had. Every- Every non-essential dollar does not get spent on Yeah, it was kind of like, actually, the landlord, when I went first part into the space, is in such poor condition. I said to the landlord, there's no way that I can afford to do what needs to be done in this space. I asked them if they would give me new carpet, paint wall, paint uh, the walls, put up a new wall for me, I mean, all this stuff, put in new lighting, and they did it. Wow. Uh, it was, like, unbelievable. I was like, somebody must be looking out for me because this does not happen. I mean, landlords right. go, here's your space, do, do what you want, you know? Sure. It's just that you always have to ask. A lot of people don't want to ask these types of questions because they don't want to be embarrassed. They don't want to be rejected. And I'm telling right. you, I mean, just ask. Ask because you can't get anything without asking. Well, that's true. Nobody's going to offer it like that. And if they of are, course. you probably want to stay away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, God. Yeah, they put it in the sink for me. I mean, they went crazy. But then after three years, like, we had seen, like, 11,000, 12,000 clients in three years of being there. Oh, wow. After three years, I mean, we really had <laughs> to repaint. And so we finally got this one, and we repainted, we put in a new bathroom, we put in, you know, chandeliers, uh, changed over the carpet again, bought all new equipment. Mm-hmm. And uh, because we just seen so many people, so it just was right. starting to look kind of like worn out. Not good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like yesterday's paint color and carpet and all that. Yeah. <laughs> well, and you know there is there is the pressure when you have a spa type environment. I mean, you have to create an aesthetically pleasing environment just to set the stage for anything else you're going to do. I mean, there are a lot of restaurants and other types of businesses that can get away with skimping in that area. And unfortunately, your market is not one of those. It's not. It's about the atmosphere. It is not. Yeah, (laughs) definitely not. So let me ask you this, a couple questions about your actual product line. Now, sure. can you tell us more about what this, the chiral skincare line is and what, you know, you talked about the Hornet and that sort of thing. Can you kind of right. go, go a little bit more into detail about what your product is? Because um, I know from reading online, you have you have some values and principles built into right. what you produce. And I wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of, put that all together for us because it's part of what makes your product unique. Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, this is, this product is so unique and I know everybody says that. I totally get that every skincare line says that and that's why even professionals in the industry are confused. It's notoriously hard to read labels because a lot of cosmetic companies, um, they don't label in accordance with like inky, um, you know, requirements. So there's a nomenclature that's required to be on those labels, and this is one of the things that makes our industry so difficult to be in. So um, that's the first thing. But we do use inky labels because we work with an FDA-approved lab, and we have taken the uh, step to make sure that our products are labeled correctly for export. So that's the first thing. Mm -hmm. So they're labeled but according to the law, and you can actually tell what's in there, okay? So the other mm-hmm. thing is is that uh, this is a chirally correct line. And what that really means is that it's not a run-of-the-mill product. There's real technology here. This is proven technology. And, um, you know, it's sometimes it's known as chirality, but really the correct term is chiral correction. And what it is is it's a process of removing, like, the non-superimposable part of the molecule or the left or the right side. Like, you know, sometimes you see, like, L's or D's before ingredients mm-hmm. on labels. Like, you see them a lot in amino acids, for right. example. And uh, it creates, like, this super molecule, which has a clear um, communicatory process with the skin. Now it can tell it what to do, and the skin receives and understands the message. Okay. Okay. So now we're one of the we're also one of the more advanced lines that's like mostly vegan. A lot of our products are gluten free. Um, mm-hmm. So we kind of designed uh, these formulas to handle those objections because an esthetician is starting to hear them more and more. Yeah, it's biodegradable yeah. and like it's free of sodium sulfate propylene glycol, parabens, there's like there's really no artificial ingredients 
in there mm-hmm. or like no artificial dye or uh, fragrance. Okay. So it's okay. really all natural, but even beyond that, it's it's got some cellular components that make it superior to just other products. Yes, it, it does. And um, the thing that is so unique is I can tell estheticians that I talk to, you know, you're going to use this for like one or two days. And, um, you know, I promise you, you're going to see their skin as brighter in one or two days. I mean, it, it's just happening that fast. It's wow. Like, it's like being deficient in a vitamin, and then you suddenly take the vitamin, you know, and mm-hmm. whatever issue you're having because of that, it just starts to go away. It it's just because, yeah, it's, it's absorption is what mm-hmm. it is. It's communication to the cell receptor, and um, it's absorption. And there's a lot of different things that go into the formulations, and we can teach estheticians, like, you know, what might be appropriate to work with, like, a client's mindset. Like, if a client's, like, I'm dry or I'm oily or, you uh-huh. know, I'm sensitive, like, we can kind of say, okay, based on that, these are the preparations that you're going to want to, you know, recommend for them. But that's not really how we teach the actual esthetician because so many of the ingredients, um, you know, work well with all skin types. Uh-huh. So that's irrelevant. Well, we look at treating a skin condition, so like pigmentation, oh. acne. Yeah, so we don't we don't go oh, oily, dry, this, that, because usually that will normalize when okay. you start working with the condition issues. Okay. Does that make sense? So it's almost like focusing on a symptom rather than the root cause in some but, ways. Yeah, that's what a lot of skincare lines do. It's like dryness is a symptom of something else. And right. what this, I mean, some people are drier than others. I mean, we're all different as human beings, but, mm-hmm. but um, you know, a lot of times, like, dryness is caused by an internal issue, uh, we're talking, like, severe, or, or the pH of the product is off. Ah, gotcha. Yeah, and then, and then the pH of a product is off. Like, let's say your first product, which is a cleanser, and that is incorrect, and that's a really alkaline, let's say. What happens is anything that you put on after that doesn't work as well because the skin is now not functioning normally. It's so busy trying to, like, repair itself that Uh it's not going to work very well with whatever you're trying to do next. Well, and, you know, I hate to say it, but just as, you know, someone who's not um, in in the skincare industry, there are, you know, to the average person like me, I might not have any of the the main issues, whether they're, you know, dryness, acne, oily, whatever it is. But still, that doesn't necessarily mean my skin is as good as it can be. And someone like me might not know that I even, I mean, I might not know that my skin looks dull or that I'm just not, it's, you know, I'm I'm aging quicker than I need to or I'm showing, you know, wrinkles and fine lines and all those things. It's almost like you don't know what's going on until you do something about it, and then suddenly you're like, yeah. "Oh my gosh, my skin looks so much better." But but you you almost didn't even know that there was an issue. You know, it's like yeah. you don't know it can be better. Yeah, I I agree, and I think that um, that the really interesting thing about Kyle products because I have like a ten year I would say background in this at this point is uh-huh. that it is like cultish. Because people start using them, and once they get it, there's a little bit of a learning curve. Cause we have uh-huh. we have uh, something called Drop Technology, which is us. Uh, you know, our 
explanation for how little you need to use. And that's really fine to some people because they're used to just taking a dollop of something uh-huh. and splattering it on. Well, this product's really active. So not only do you not want to do that, but if you do that, sometimes you don't like the results. You overstimulate your skin, you know. So there's oh. a learning curve. That, that's why we only sell through professionals because, oh, I mean, okay. as far as, you know, our wholesale business, like we don't sell to, like, pharmacies or, you know, um, retail stores or anything like that because people just buying it, you know, right off a shelf thinking it's a normal cleanser, you know, they just don't really understand. And uh, it's thicker than most products, too, and it really needs to be demonstrated. And it really gotcha. needs to be experienced. So That education along with the product is probably yeah. as valuable as anything. And I know if you're like... um you know, like a lot of products, if you if you have something that is, um, I don't want to say an advanced type product, but that, I mean, really, that's what you're talking about. If you put it in the wrong hands and if you use it incorrectly, I mean, it can do more damn and more harm than good. And then, of course, mm-hmm. you know, that person is going to be the next person saying, oh, that, that crap doesn't work. It's awful. It's, you know, it's like, like trying to, you know, put something in your car and you put it, you're supposed to go in the gas tank and you put it in the brake fluid. Well, of course, it's going to screw things up. Right. You used it the wrong way. So I completely understand the importance of that education and making sure you actually, like you say, have the product demonstrated because it's not just your typical run-of-the-mill, take it off the shelf, put it in your bag, go home, scrub your face with it kind of thing. Right. And everything that we do that gets this product into our end user's hands, which is, you know, a client that's purchasing at a spa, everything that we do is very protective of the industry and of estheticians because, you know, even when someone's requesting some trial sizes to be sent in the mail, we have a conversation with that person just to make sure they really understand what we're doing, uh-huh. what makes it different. We talk about job technology, things like that, you know. We, we, don't even, we sell small amounts to individual estheticians like mm-hmm. once or twice, like maybe just a few hundred dollars, you know. But mm-hmm. we don't we don't sell um, you know we don't sell massive amounts to people that don't have businesses or anything like that um, because we just really want to control the perception of the brand and which gotcha. you know it protects us but it also protects the esthetician because right. we don't want people walking in there saying I've had a bad experience. Right. You know? True. Yeah. Yeah. Because that that hurts everybody. You know. It doesn't right. Matter. I mean, because if it's a bad experience, they're not going to know if it was the product or the esthetician. And yeah. before you know it, it's you're you've ruled that out as a treatment uh, modality, yeah. no matter what. So. Yeah. So now, yeah. Well, let me ask you this: What's up with the Hornet? <laughs> okay, the Hornet. I mean, that's me being a rebel. <laughs> oh. Okay. Got yeah. It. You know, it's, Your a, own little... it's our it's our mascot, and you know what it is? It's the anti bumblebee. That's really what it is. Because I got you. like ten years ago when someone sells skincare, it would be like honey this, honey that, bumblebees yes. and red roses. Yes. That like when yeah. I went to school, that, that all the brands were like that. You know, okay. that's what told got you they you. were a spa brand. Yeah. So the Hornet is a little more fierce. It's much more yeah. high powered. It's energetic. And yeah. it is the anti, you know, fluffy treatment kind of the <laughs> honey and everything. I love that. So now let me ask you this. I know you've come 
um, a long way from the website to where you are now and being your own um, formulator of products and selling to the industry. Mm-hmm. But have you had any failures along the way that you've learned lessons important enough that you could share them so that another business owner could potentially learn from your mistake? Yes, actually, you know what? We're in the middle of working on a major failure right now. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, not with the <laughs> line, though. Not with the sonic line, though. Actually, with the spas. So, um, and here's how we're going to solve it. So, we decided that we no longer want Modulum to be a spa in San Francisco. Uh, we wanted to just be a skincare line, right? But we started running daily deals. And it was great for a while. We went too low in price and we went too high in volume. Mm-hmm. And it was just exhausting, exhausting. And we sold thousands and thousands, and there's like 30 people to handle like these thousands of people, you know. And you're uh, very hard to make such little money. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then the other thing was, was you know, we brought a ton of clients to the spa who could not actually afford our services. Okay. I mean, they were just the wrong client for our business. So gotcha. that was the other thing. So it's it's taught me a lot. So we're currently doing a name change in the spa, and that's a process, and it's a painful process. But but uh, you know you know I have a great staff. I do, but we just want to do a name change and start fresh and separate it out from Modum, the skincare line, because the two are just not really that related. It, you know, okay. it's not the same staff that's out there. Um, working with sales and, you know, talking to some of the businesses that we're going to be working with. It's just a totally different thing. The two teams don't talk to each other. So we're going to separate it out and, um, you know, and, yeah, and just we're working on that. Right now it's really interesting. But, but, uh, but yeah, it was interesting. It was like a really low rate of rebooking and we were kind of stuck like honoring all these coupons and, you know, <laughs> totally not doing that again. <laughs> So are you have you ruled out using the daily deal sites or the daily deals um for as far as your business model for the spa? No, I haven't. And here's why. So the daily deal sites have a lot of exposure. What you have to do is be careful about volume and you have to mm-hmm. be careful about price. So we have decided that we no longer we, we did cut some staff loose. And we've downsized our staff to about 25% of what it used to be. Because what okay. I realized was the reason why I was doing these deals and doing such high volume was because I had so many mouths to feed. Right. And Keeping it, everyone busy. Yeah. yeah. And, like, I would talk to other spawners, and they'd be like, how many estheticians do you have? And I'd be like, 12. And they'd be like, oh. <laughs> yeah. And, wow. You know, I mean, that's that. really hard to get all those people uh, you know, I want to give my attention to like two or three people, and it's just easier. At this point, everyone that's, that's with me has been with me for over a year, so there's not like anybody new. I have one girl that's been with me for almost like three years, and um, and it's just easier to work with them. I know who they are. We just have a mutual respect for me. There's no mystery. And so we're talking about with de- developing them uh, to do more like medi services. Okay. I think they need to go in that direction. Wow. So you've you've really kind of gotten your gotten to the point where you've grown both sections of your business so that they're not really even able to be functioning compatibly under the same roof, so to speak. And and mm-hmm. I'll use that metaphorically speaking. So at this point, what would you say that your greatest business accomplishment has been? Gosh, you know, this is a hard question. So there's a saying I recently posted this on my LinkedIn last week, 
And I think, actually, that it really, this has resonated with me, but it goes focus on the legacy, not the currency. And Ooh. I love this quote. I love it. Because it really reminds me to take inventory of the small mm-hmm. things at this stage. I mean, we are a pimple on the butt of anything that we are going to do in the future. <laughs> That's where I see where we are right now. So it's kind of like my daily mantra at this point. And I realize that someday, whatever success was had in this project, that I would look back and I would appreciate the process. I really yeah. will. It, the struggle is going to matter someday. So yeah. um, to add to that, I think the process of surviving a startup that keeps yeah. pivoting with no investors sure. like in and of itself is an accomplishment. Well, and, and I, then put mm-hmm. put that into context with starting it during the the Great Recession. You know, let's oh, add yeah. that on top of it. So that's oh, no yeah. small thing either. Yeah. I mean, and there's another piece to that. I mean, that's hard, right? But there's another piece to that. So sure. and skincare is new. However, creating the line, finding outside sales reps and a VP of sales with experience, I might add, it's not your average day for me. I haven't no. done this before, and sometimes I'll admit I'm totally flying blind, which is why, wow. thank God, Flo, my partner, <laughs> who is also my therapist, <laughs> also my therapist, <laughs> but my partner with a lot of experience, you know, I mean, I'm so thankful for her. And uh, sure, I have outside sales experience, which is, I mean, it's absolutely a requirement for doing this. But putting together a company with these moving parts, nope, I have no experience in that. So what I really want to focus on, you know, when I made my calls to people who could be like our potential clients is like I I needed to prove myself when we started getting in. I mean, I've done this before, but now it's my own company. So it's kind of scary because people give you feedback and it's not great and it's like they're talking about your child. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. You find that defensiveness popping up. Kind of. Yeah. And like spa owners, like you know, they have no idea who we are or what we stand for. Sometimes because they don't know who we are, but they haven't met us. They haven't heard of us. I mean, it took some time. You know, our first few wholesale accounts it took patience. It took them trusting us to not like undercut them online. That's a big thing. And uh, I really say to us, like, like let's see how you do. And uh, we'll talk in six months. Or they'd please send me samples when we have, like, no money, right? And um, Yeah, that's true. you got to be able to fund the samples. The yeah, samples. they would ask for, like, referrals, other, other spas. And, you know, that was a hard one because other spas don't really want to talk to other spas <laughs> about their business. And, but in the beginning, they were like, oh, we don't have any. You'd be, like, one of our first five accounts, you know? So, um and you might even wonder, like, why that was a huge issue for us. But the truth is, like, a lot of skincare lines don't understand what spa owners go through to, like, hire and train staff. They don't understand the commitment and then how it derails if the business plan of that skincare line changes. And that's what we, like, when we impress this on someone and they choose to work with us and we're like, we get it. Rachel's an esthetician. She owns a spa. She's been in this industry for 15 years. We get it. And then they take on our line. I think that is like our biggest accomplishment. Wow. Yeah. I can imagine. I mean, I can see how that would be like the the ultimate compliment, you know, essentially to be it's the choice. So, I'm so blown away sometimes when I go, okay, I've done this. And I again, I look at the process. I look at you know, where I was a year ago when I was, you know, closing on this loan, you know what I'm saying? Sure, And what yeah. we've done in a year, I mean, it's, 
it's mind-blowing. Just mind-blowing. I can imagine it is, and the thing is, it's probably only a you know a fraction of where you're going to be you know another year from now. Yeah. But I wanted you to talk because you've you've got kind of these two components of your business, and one is the the local uh, Mod Vellum Spa that's undergoing a name change and that sort of thing, and then you've got the online uh, the skincare uh, the products that you actually make and produce. And I wanted to kind of get you to talk a little bit about the marketing strategies that you're using um, for each of those. Because I'm well, unless they're completely the same, which I can't imagine that they would be. But right. can you talk a little bit about what is what you're finding success with marketing wise for those aspects of your business? Yeah, you know, uh, the biggest thing for us has been a lot of social media, and okay. you know, we don't have a ton of of marketing that is always specific to our products, um, but we like to have a lot of fun with social media because I think that more than anything with your with your website or your image or whatever, I think social media is like when you buy a new outfit, but then you need to like accessorize to complete your look. I uh-huh. think that's what social media does for a business like this. It's not that's necessarily, yeah, it's not necessarily how we communicate directly with our clients. But we know they're there because sometimes when we're talking to them, they already have information that we know we didn't tell them, um, mm-hmm. but that they, they saw. And sometimes, you know, LinkedIn is the greatest thing. I'm probably connected to, I don't know, almost five or 600 estheticians. And oh, wow. I really love to, like, repost articles from them. And sometimes like, I watch their groups and I watch their struggles. And it really gives me a lot of, like, ammunition for, like, what I want to do. Sure. And, like, how... I want to, you know, cater to them. So, um, you know, definitely come see us, like, on Facebook, Instagram, we're on Pinterest, Twitter, Tumblr. Uh, Tumblr is the most edgy, so if you're not, if you're not, <laughs> if you're not under 25, don't go there. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> if you, if, trust me. If you not going to faint apart, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Very edgy, oh, my God. So, um, but if you, if you own a spa, you know, definitely connect to me on LinkedIn. We post a lot of great information that's relevant to the industry. And you'll be able to get updates on our skincare line. We also love to post pictures of our clients. We haven't gotten very many people to do this, but we are, you know, talking to a few people. We just love posting pictures of our clients with the line, letting people know that they just, you know, started working with us. Uh, if they're running an event with our products and they want to send pictures of them with clients on our product, or, you know, if they're making videos of our facials, we're more than happy to push that out on our social media um, channels as well. So, And then we also send really informative emails. So this talk will be one of them. Um, we send that out to um, people, you know, that we want to do business with, our, our prospects, so to speak. And, um, you know, we, I, I do tape trainings and telephone calls and things like that. We've done one on funders and one on toners. And, you know, we also have a sales team that reaches out to businesses in our vertical and they do, you know, presentations of school and and things like that as well. Gotcha. So you've got a lot of different fingers in different different channels to try Mm -hmm. to contribute to the overall marketing of your business. Wow. So at this point, what are the next steps for Mod Vellum? Uh, You know what? Only like... Only a few people know this. <laughs> but oh, well, we won't actually, tell anyone. <laughs> we won't tell anyone. Actually, I was saving it for this. It'll be our I was saving it for you. 
Um, we actually have three products that are they're done. We just haven't packaged them yet, and we're trying to make sure that we position them, you know, the right way. And um, we, you know, we're still trying to decide if one of them is going to be a, a pro product only. We have a ton of requests for professional only products, um, but they're just so great that we just feel like, you know. It's a safe to use, too, but we feel like they should be not retailed. But um, one of them is, actually, there's two peels. One is an enzyme peel. One is an acid, acid peel. And the other one has um, this really brilliant scrub in it that I think everyone is just going to love. It's, you know, one of the products, it has never been done before. Actually, two of these products have never been done before. So we have a healing balm. Um, that is, it's just light as air. It's not really greasy, and uh-huh. there's a cumulative, like, brightening effect to the skin, which is a really nice post-peel. Great post-peel oh, wow. product as well. And it has some I, salt in it, so. I can tell you that I'm probably jealous of your um, bathroom drawers and cabinet and that sort of thing, because I'm <laughs> sure you have them just chock full oh, my gosh. of all these fabulous things. <laughs> Yeah, you you hit the nail on the head with that one. <laughs> yes, I know, and that's I was going to say. There's nothing like I, I don't know the excitement of going out and finding, you know, getting a new product and then coming home and trying. And whether it's a you know a mask or a scrub or a peel or whatever, and you do it and you're like, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm 22 again, and you know I mm-hmm. feel like uh, my skin is so smooth. And you know before and then you know. Two months later, you haven't thought about it again, but, you you know, that, that excitement that you do originally whenever you try the stuff out, I, I love that. And I think most women, you know, we've got so many products that we've tried and they haven't been um, good enough for, to make it to our daily routine, you know, and just stick in there. So right. I am, can tell you that I'm completely jealous of your bathroom cabinets and what all you have in there because I know you know, you know what? You know Excellent. who I'm jealous of? I'm jealous of the formulator at the lab because oh, when I, I look imagine. at their lips, they have all these just wild ingredients that I read about, and I'm like, yeah. sometimes I'm like, I want this and this, and, and she's like, yeah. that's too many ingredients. That's just too many ingredients. Like, you just can't put that many ingredients in your product. It will be so expensive. But some wild ingredients, like watermelon seed extract, like, just yeah. crazy stuff. And, and- and the thing is, you, when you think about it and you think about what it takes just to get those little components yeah. to the market, you know what I mean? It's like yeah. who knew there was anything to extract from a watermelon seed? And it, even it, then exactly. it, could, it could be beneficial, yeah. you know. But uh-huh. it's just, it is crazy when you think about all of the many components and how it even changes the the product it's by adding them or whatever. Yeah. I, unbelievable. I can like in, in one of our bombs, um, we put this ingredient called the Savalol, and it's actually a pseudochemical from chamomile that is so potent for its anti-inflammatory properties that in like Germany, they sell it as a drug because it's that really? strong. It's like comparable to like a hydrocortisone. Basically. Oh wow. And it's in the and it's just amazing. We put it in the bomb because it's just so 
so interesting. You can almost watch the swelling go down. It's great. Yeah, that's that's crazy. It really mm-hmm. is. It's it's. I find that stuff fascinating, and I can imagine that you, as a formulator and one that's kind of in that industry, right. just get very overstimulated by that type of stuff on a daily yes. basis. I can oh my imagine. gosh! Yeah. And then you have to come back and be like, "Oh crap! I got to deal with my accountant today," or "Oh, I've got to interview somebody today for a job." And it's that's that's the not fun parts of the job. I so. can't wait to get to that point where I can just hand that to someone. <laughs> yes, exactly. And be like, don't do all the crap work. I'm going to do the fun stuff. Where's my exactly. product to try? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, Rachel, can you tell us, um, I'm sure you've learned just so much since you started in 2008 and even as you've developed over the years, but is there any piece of wisdom that you know now that you could share with us that you would maybe wish you knew when you started out? Yes. Okay, so I have this uncle and I wish I'd listened to him more, but he's my great uncle, and he owns a ton of real estate, like a real estate mogul, right? And he used to say nothing. Well, he said he said two things. He said you get nothing in life without working really hard for it. Mm-hmm. And he also said that nothing happens until somebody sells something. You have no business ah, until yeah. somebody sells something. So as long as you know those two things, but you actually apply those two things, like daily to how you operate your business, you will be okay. There are some things that I wish I had known. Like I wish I had known how long it would take to build a business. Um, You know, if you think you're going to build an empire in just a few years, think again. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, many businesses do not turn a profit for three years, at least. And over 90% of them go out of business. So, you know, be sure that you're ready and that you're clear on your strategy um, to start your company and research your industry before you start. If you're a part of that industry for several years, as I was, you're going to have even more of an advantage, you know? Ah, like working in it, kind of like you Yeah, yeah, and then try and get started without jumping ship from your current job. I've actually made that mistake twice. (laughs) Well, I think that's good. And even the advice of working in the industry, because many times if you have the aspirations to own your own business and you're, mm-hmm. but you're then working in someone else's business in that same industry that you eventually want to own a business in, you look at that experience through very different eyes than just the normal employee. And you can learn what not to do. You can see that owner struggling through some things, even if they don't want to share it with you. You know, maybe they're afraid you're going to be the next competitor, but you can see, you not only see that, but you see also what what the other employees are saying because they're talking to you, not like somebody who wants to be an owner, but like a coworker. And you find out what's pissing them off. And I mean, so it's such a valuable experience to take that and say, even if it was this person taught me how not to run a business or how right. not to be a leader and how not to manage people, it's a valuable, valuable experience. I think that's good. And and like you said, too, that three years of not turning a profit and that uh, the risk that what, – what is it, the statistics, like something like 70% of small businesses go out of business within the first five years? Yeah, and, and you then, know, and like, being, half of them after that or something. It's, it, it yeah, means before it's astronomical. Seven, yeah. And and the thing is, I think what happens is we put on these rose-colored glasses and we think, oh, this is perfect. My business is, you know, it's foolproof. It's a no-brainer. Yeah. It's got no competition. It's blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. 
at the same time, you didn't even think about that there's also no market for it. Or, right. You know, I mean, there's just it's just one of those things where I think we get so excited and optimistic about the opportunity. That's part of what makes us entrepreneurs is that we see right. potential in things that other people might not. But I love that you said, you know, you got to be prepared for those those years of struggling yeah, and barely no. breaking even. One thing that I see new business owners do all the time is they they start their business as though everybody wants to steal their idea. But like yeah. in order to have the business and transact, you know, business, like you have to tell people your idea because that's your business, right? Right. So it's exactly. like a really interesting thing how, you know, people are, are guard dogs over their business. And I've never really been that way because I feel like if they're gonna copy me, they don't they're not gonna they don't obviously don't have a strategy anyway. So right. I just go ahead, copy me, do your thing. I don't care because I will always be doing my thing. You know, right. I will and always be doing my thing my way. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and that's the thing. If you continue to innovate, I mean, it's one thing if you put something out there and never change it for the next 20 years and somebody wants to copy it and then they want to come totally. in and sell it cheaper and all that. You yeah. know, well, I hate to say it, but you kind of deserve to be outsold, you know, if you're not yeah. innovating and doing <laughs> that. You know, it's that, kind of my, that's what, I mean, that, I guess. This is the whole thing. We talked about being an entrepreneur versus sure. being a business owner. And that's what an entrepreneur does is they go, okay, you know, what do I need to do to take my business to the next level? It's not necessarily, like, I don't spend a lot of time, like, looking at other people's businesses at all. I don't. I have too much going on. But you know what I spend a lot of time doing, and I think everybody needs to do this? I spend a lot of time talking to other entrepreneurs, getting to know them. I'm in a business group as well. Um, You know, right, I'm, I'm talking to investors for the future, and it's just, you know, I don't care about talking to an investor who says, you know, why isn't this done? Why don't you have this? Why don't you, why isn't this added in your business plan? Like, I don't care. It doesn't bother me because I'm learning from talking to them. It's, it's and you'll okay. know before you do it for real what you need to have in it. And exactly. What and you, and you just know? So don't know anything without having the experience. You don't learn to run sure. before you've learned to walk. So. Right. And you know what? If your first time ever getting out and mixing with those types of people, the investors and the other business owners, right. is when you're actually trying to get a loan or trying to get a partner yeah. or trying to get whatever, you're going to be so much more intimidated than if you're already yeah. mixing and mingling and talking to them and getting their, you know, getting, picking their brain a little bit and that yep. kind of thing. So I you know, love that I, advice. That's, that's the, that, this, is, this is the process. Okay. I almost didn't get the loan because there was a piece of documentation that my landlord, my current landlord, refused to sign off on. And yes, and the SBA was like, you need to have a lease for seven years because this is a seven-year loan. My landlord was like, I'm not going to give you a seven-year lease. We don't do that. It was this whole big thing, and this is the whole thing. That is just part of being an entrepreneur is you have to be a problem solver, and we solved that problem. You know, we wrote into the lease that he'd give me, like, right the first refusal on the next seven years of, like, renewals, like something like that that just made everybody happy, you know? It really yeah. it's interesting, weird little things, and that's what you have to do to to, to move things forward. 
I love that, and I, I see it all the time with, um, with with negotiating different deals with things. I mean, right. two people come to the table, one has this expectation, one has that expectation, and they seem impassable and completely right. um, not even you know going to coexist with each other. But when somebody can come along and say, oh, you know how we can get around this? Let's just get you to sign a one-year lease for the next seven years, and we've got it dated out, and you're good to go. And before you know it, you're like, oh. There is a way. So I I love that, and I think the more we get in that mindset of saying right. every obstacle is just a new opportunity for me to figure out how to get around it. And and I think yeah. rebels, rebels like you, do it probably better than people that are conformist and followers. Cause yeah, those are the people that are to. told the rules are the rules, and we don't I break. Know, them. I know. And you know, here's, and here's the whole thing. The, the whole thing about me being like the rebel and doing it my own way is. It's been a lot harder for me to learn a few things. Maybe someone that went to Harvard or business school already knows, right? right. But uh-huh. that guy knows how to do a COG, like cost of goods spreadsheet, right? right? What does I have to do? I have to go online and look at samples of other COGs and then model, you know what I'm saying? Like, and yeah. then do my thing. This is the kind of stuff that I had to do for the loan. And, um, you know, I'm sort of self-taught. And I think that that makes me stronger, um, because I just I just think it's you know and also I find very unique ways of doing things because I've never learned the easy way. That's you that's know funny. so it's just, it's just different you know. I mean, early on I used to be like education. Yeah, early on I used to be like okay I you know I don't have this experience I use it as an excuse and then I realized oh wait a minute this is this is actually uh, it's a huge attribute it's like I don't have this experience. So, therefore, all I have to do is think outside the box because that's all I'm capable of. Right. I'm not yeah. capable of following, you know, whatever um, curriculum I Protocol, I yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that is. So, I just had to do it my own way. And I think it's made me stronger. I really, really but, do. You know, I was going to say, though, sometimes that is such a good thing because you're looking at it through your own experiences and you're trying to problem solve in that way. And like you said, um, you know, part of what makes most entrepreneurs entrepreneurs is that we're not afraid to learn something new. And if it means right. we've got to go and watch a YouTube video or do a Google search and find out how somebody else is doing it right. and what they did, and then we yeah. replicate it and we try it and we fail and we go, oh, that didn't work so well. They should have told me about this or that in the video, you know, right. whatever it is. But you can learn anything and adapt it to your business, and and that's just part of the entrepreneurial spirit is that, you know, you don't have to have all the answers before you take the action because in action, you're going to find out more than you ever knew you didn't know. Yeah, I agree. Love, love, love that. I agree. So now, Rachel, we have gone Mm – from way back when to to now and and covered your business and that sort of thing and you've been extremely generous with your time and sharing your experiences and I wanted to give you the opportunity to promote to our listeners anything about your business that you'd like to and also in the course of doing that if you can kind of tell us where we can find you on the web because in our show notes I'll go in and I'll link all this up so people can go right from our show notes and click over your website or your Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever. So this is your opportunity. What can we what can you promote for us? 
Um, you know, basically what I wanted to tell our listeners is, um, you know, look for us in your local spa. And if you can't find our products, you can buy them right online at modzalem.com. And if you have any questions or concerns, you can always email modzalem at gmail.com, and that will lead you right to me. And if I can find a business in your area, I'm happy to do so. And if not, then I'll call you myself and educate you, you know, and answer any questions that you may have about our products. Excellent. So what I will do is in our show notes, I'll link up to your website, and people can go right there if they have uh, any questions or want to see your website. You've got a very good website, and it's got a lot of different um different pieces of information on it that I think people will find useful. And we can also find you on Facebook, right? Yes, every social media site known to mankind. That's right, Facebook, (laughs) Twitter, and all that. You got it. I will get all of those. I'll dig all those up and put them on there so that people can follow you, get in touch with you. And even if they're in the spa or beauty industry, Mm -hmm. um, they definitely might be interested in checking out your products to become a, you know, dealer or whatever you call the the representatives. Sure, sure. Um, And Rachel, you've been a pleasure to talk to. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I appreciate it for being generous with your time. Absolutely. uh, I hope. I hope you have a fantastic weekend. Thank you so much. If you'd like to join our local community here at the Brick and Mortar Reporter Podcast, the best way to do that is to follow us on Facebook. You can find us at facebook.com forward slash brick and mortar reporter podcast. Now, every single day when we upload a new episode and we launch it, we'll have a little blurb there along with a link to it, along with some great discussions about local business and things that are going on in local areas all over the country that can affect your business and other businesses in the local community. So follow us on Facebook. We'd love to have you join us. Our community. If you are a Twitter user, and we know many of you are, we love Twitter ourselves, we would love to have you follow us on Twitter. You can find us at BAM, B-A-M, Reporter. It's at BAM Reporter. So hop on over to Twitter, follow us, and you'll get all the updates every time we launch a new episode. And when anything comes out that the local business community needs to be aware of, we will tweet that out and you'll have access to that. So follow us on Twitter at BAM Reporter.